0: So you're sitting in class, daydreaming about what you'll do when you get older. Is life good for lawyers? Would I make a lot of money? Will I ever use pre-calculus? And then, all of a sudden, it hits you. You like daydreaming and stories so much that you decide to start telling stories of your own. But how do you tell stories, preferably for free? You write. There's just one small problem. You don't know what to write. Or maybe you do, but you don't know how to go about it. So for all you college-aged, high school, or God forbid middle school authors out there, let this be a hopefully helpful guide to starting your newfound writing career. There are indeed lots of good reasons to get into writing. Maybe you've been struck by a particular story and you just absolutely need to type it down. Or you have a passion for writing as a craft and are excited to express whatever topics come your way. Here are some potentially good reasons to start writing. 1. You feel the need to tell stories. Two, you love writing as a craft. Three, you need to express yourself creatively and writing seems like the best avenue to do that. Four, you're passionate about discussing particular topics or spreading good in the world. Five, you tolerate hard work. All that said, writing also tends to attract people for some of the wrong reasons. We see authors like James Patterson or J.K. Rowling and we want the life that they have. Here are a few bad reasons to start writing that often stem from that type of thinking. One, you want to get rich. Two, you want to be respected as a bestseller or respected in general. Three, you see writing as the easy option for whatever reason. Four, you want an achievement to brag about. Five, you want to be left alone and you think writing will be a career where you can do that. While some of these things do happen for successful authors, there are countless others who do not even see one of these desires met. Most authors are lucky to afford writing full-time, and others still are lucky to find the time to write. So if you've done some self-examination, some minor writing projects, and you still want to be an author in any capacity, then I commend you. More than that, I would love to see you succeed and enjoy your writing process. So let's break down how exactly you should start out. The first thing you need to decide is what to write. Authors are novelists, nonfiction researchers, poets essayists, biographers, memoir and short story writers, there are many directions to take your first project, and some will suit you much better than others. For instance, if you're the target audience of this series and are college-aged or younger, then you will likely have to face criticism about your lack of experience, which I'll cover in a later video. Regardless of how comfortable you are with research, it could be difficult to tackle a full-fledged biography. Your take on Alexander Hamilton might be an exercise in futility, when there's already the Ron Chernow bio and the Lynn manuel Miranda musical. However, this isn't to say you can't research and write about a topic you're interested in. Perhaps you're really passionate about Malaysian history or environmental science. In cases like these, the question then becomes whether you should tackle this interest through fiction or nonfiction. Test out your different options on a small scale first, then decide which works best for you and your project. To practice writing a novel, write several short stories first. Some that directly address your desired topic, and others that simply build your style. For testing nonfiction, first write as many essays or articles as you can handle, and make sure to go through the research process properly. For a whole compendium of poetry, start with just a few poems, or even songs. If you're debating writing a memoir, see if you can write first about two or three of your core memories, and then find a thematically interesting way to tie them together. Once you've tested everything out, it's important to ask yourself a few more questions before you can start writing. Do you actually want to become an author now? What type of book will you write first? Fiction, nonfiction, etc. Is this a story you want to dedicate a ton of time to? Have you practiced enough to start this project? Enough testing and learning? Are you prepared to start with research? And yes, fiction authors, this applies to you too. It's important to remember that your first project does not define you. If you happen to write a fantasy novel, you can always write a memoir later on. Pick whatever you're the most passionate about and give that book your all as a first-time author. Writing a book is hard work, but there is no better time to start than now. And I mean that literally. Depending on your life situation, there may never be another season where your responsibilities are low enough and your flexibility is great enough to make the leap toward writing a book. Yes, adults write books all the time, but how many others are only able to toss the idea around while providing for themselves and their families takes precedence? But what about all my school responsibilities, you may say. And while school indeed takes up so much time, you as a young author will need to balance your book writing with your coursework, activities, and social life. It's not an easy task, but navigating this process will be the topic of the next video. In the meantime, take the first steps. Do the necessary prep and make sure your priorities are straight. But if writing is something you're passionate about, now is the time to become an author. So you want to write a book, and you've decided what kind it'll be, and what it'll be about. You've done your initial research, outlined to the extent that you need to, and maybe even drafted a chapter or two. But then your science professor assigns you a project due on Friday, and you forget about the book for a week. And on Saturday, you're burnt out, and you want to see your friends, so you go to the beach or the mall, and you play video games all day. Which is totally fine, because on Sunday, the book crosses your mind again. But unfortunately, you feel the need to get ahead on a history paper so that you're not too stressed throughout the week. And so the cycle of not writing starts all over again. Clearly, you might be thinking, the fix to balance your writing life is to incorporate a writing schedule that you stick to. It could be daily or weekly. And you're right. That is functionally how a book, little by little, gets written. But it's way easier said than done. If it was so simple to write for an hour every day or eight hours every weekend while still in school, then far more students of every age would be writing books. The truth is people don't always work like that. Sometimes your mental health or your personal enjoyment or your student life takes priority and needs to take priority over your author work. If you as a young author chastise yourself every day you failed to write because of something else you needed or wanted to do, then you would come to hate yourself with a burning passion. Because, at least from personal experience, I failed hard at maintaining a writing schedule or even pretending to attempt one in the first place. I wrote so sporadically that my first novel took me seven years. I want to tell you that this type of writing behavior is okay. And to a certain extent, it is, or else I wouldn't have performed it myself. But there is a catch. There is a major difference between chaotic pursuit of a goal you're passionate about and complete aimlessness that ignores that goal as a priority. Even if you don't have a schedule you're sticking to, please don't resort to aimlessness. If you go three weeks without doing literally anything with your book, at least be thinking about it and at least actually follow through with that weekend writing bender that allows you to pour all your thoughts onto the page. This ultimately leads to a hard truth. There are major sacrifices you will have to make as a student author. You can write sporadically like I did, but the actual act of writing is still an inescapable necessity that physically limits your time and other pursuits in life. Writing a book is a trade-off that forces you to lose out on wonderful things in each and every facet of life. Your grades will suffer, if only a little, from focus you've diverted away from classwork. Your performance in sports or clubs will not meet its full potential. Your friendships and relationships might actually be less fulfilling because you'll have to repeatedly tell the people you care about no, I can't see you today. I can't call right now. But when you're writing a book for the right reasons, all this sacrifice can be truly worth it. Regardless of what may come your way professionally, the satisfaction of following through on your time-consuming, soul-crushing goal to become an author is payment enough in itself. And for all those relationships that you've been neglecting, the fact that you can actually finish the project that was stealing your attention might help the people around you better respect and understand your decisions. Another thing to consider with how your book relates to your personal life is how on earth to talk about it to people. It's one thing for a full adult with a career to announce to their peers a decision to write a book. It's another thing entirely for a kid in high school or middle school or college to try and tell the folks around them about their lofty author ambitions. Because to be honest, people love to judge other people. And I'm talking especially about middle schoolers. Suffice to say, it can be really difficult to express why you can't hang with your friends when you need to write. You could keep it a secret and make up other excuses, but unless your book's content makes it a safety risk, it's ultimately better for your mental health, your friendships, and your book's reach if you come clean and tell people about the damn thing. Be honest with people, answer questions that come your way, and take the criticisms leveled at you with dignity. Seriously, we'll tackle the stigma you face as a young author in the next video but more than anything in communicating about your book, be humble. Express your passion for the story with modest estimation of your own skills. Don't think that being an author makes you better than anyone else, because it doesn't. If you brag, people will laugh at your book's failures rather than celebrate its successes, because there will certainly be enough of both to respond to. So for you modest authors out there, keep your chin up as you balance your writing with life's other awesome opportunities. In nearly every profession, there is a common bias against young people. I'm not necessarily talking about people in their 30s or even late 20s, but particularly those of undergraduate age or younger. How many 22-year-old lead city planners or 26-year-old doctors do you know? Probably none, and to be honest, there is some definite sense to this. The less time a person has had on earth, the less time they've had to develop skills, experience, and tact necessary to perform certain high-level jobs. Even if they are apt for the job, the nature of leadership dictates that other people, older people, who are being managed and inspired, will on the whole respect the opinions of their younger leaders less and feel dissatisfied with working for them. But what about jobs that don't require high-profile leadership, and more particularly, jobs like writing that require creative expression? Why is a young person who puts in the necessary work and writes a good book any less formidable or respectable than an older person who does the same, or possibly even worse? Granted, what makes a good book is very subjective, and there are often judgments made about inexperienced writers that are fair and helpful criticisms. But should this writing inexperience be assumed when it's a younger author in question? I would argue not, and there are lots of young authors out there who continually prove this assumption inaccurate. The fact, however, is that most readers, agents, and other folks in the publishing industry do automatically make this assumption. Whether they've read enough underdeveloped books from younger authors to reinforce this supposed trend or not, publishing professionals have the potential to write off a younger author and place them in a separate category. Others still box them differently because they know readers are predisposed to do the same. In most cases, they aren't the ones originating this judgment. The market itself is. So given this as something a younger author will have to reckon with, how does one reckon with it? Well, for one thing, we can't act bitterly or mistreat those we intend to work with or market to, even if they are misjudging us and our work. In that case, we'd only be making the inexperienced label worse by acting like a jerk. Instead, a possible way to combat the misperception is to not combat it. Embracing the judgments with humility is a solution to ensure that more people perceive you as possessing a grace beyond your years. There's obviously no need to self-deprecate or trash your own book, But there's also a lot to be gained by admitting the room you have for growth as an author. Always be learning and never hide that you are. For contrast, how might you perceive a middle-aged working professional who praises their book as the most groundbreaking work in their field of choice? They hail the insights they've collected as invaluable and are quick to regale readers with the difficulties of balancing work with the six-month stint they pulled to write the book. If you're anything like me, you find this lack of tack obnoxious. Heck, their six-month stint is hardly notable when stacked against a decade or longer that some authors, many of them younger, frequently dedicate to crafting their book. Now imagine if that same boastful professional was a 20-year-old. How much more negatively would they be perceived? Would anyone actually want to read their book? The sad truth is that many older authors get away with overestimating themselves. In fact, it can sometimes help their books sell better for those who value their age and experience. A younger author will never get away with this mindset, So please do not think that you will be the first. So humility can help from making things worse, but what will actually improve the negativity of an inexperienced label? The answer, I believe, is once again to embrace and lean into the stereotype, which sounds terrible coming out of my mouth because it is terrible. But like I said, this is a real force to reckon with, and my best strategy is more of a survival mechanism than a catch-all. When I'm referring to leaning in, I'm mostly referring to marketing and author branding. Despite the obvious disadvantages of our younger age, there are actually a few key advantages, and yes, they also relate to perception. 1. There are definitely people who find it cool that a young person is writing a book. This might incentivize podcasts to book you. 2. There are actually distinct awards categories that are only open to younger authors, usually under age 25. 3. It takes a village to launch a first book, and villages often like supporting children more than adults. 4. Some readers will invest in following your trajectory in a way they otherwise would not. Repeat readership could be easier to attain. 5. As a flipside to the boastful professional example, you can converse about your book in various ways that would otherwise be seen as pretentious or self-seeking from older adults. For instance, approaching a professor for a quote is more natural from a younger author. 6. Depending on what book you write, it can possibly help grant other early career opportunities. This has less to do with your actual success as an author and more to do with your other life endeavors. So while this glance at inexperienced author stigma is nowhere near as comprehensive as I'd like it to be, there are hopefully some ideas here that you can develop in a way that best suits you and your book. Right when my book was published, I hit the ground running, getting copies on the bookstore shelves. I would book a flight and bring a cardboard box full of 40 copies, pitching them to different Barnes and Nobles and local booksellers wherever I went. Overall, this process of convincing managers to stock my book went pretty well. One of the places I thought would be easiest to convince was a student-run bookstore at the university I had just graduated from. I picture the conversation going quite smoothly. Here I was, offering a review copy of my passion project, hoping they would then consider hosting me to speak to fellow students about both the story and the writing process. It seemed like a win-win for me as an author and them as a store, and I at least thought they'd give the prospect a fair shake. Instead, what actually happened was I walked through the door and told them briefly about myself, my book, and my hopes for inspiring other students to write. Their response was blank stares and raised eyebrows. Is this like an actually published book? One of the student workers asked me. I was taken aback for a second. Why did the manner of publishing matter when the physical book sat in front of them? But still, I answered, yes it is. My publisher's info is on the spine and the first few pages. The employee just shrugged and after a moment said, oh okay, we'll maybe get back to you. He then turned around without asking for my contact information. Other bookstores had turned me down before, but never with such a lack of sympathy. Though it took me a few days to get over this particular objection, I can't say it was much of a shock in retrospect. This was just one more missed opportunity in a long line of university-related disappointments. I had entered college with a completed first draft, clinging to the naive expectation that the university would be a place where I could workshop and publish my novel. There are many great things that college provides, but there are many more things that college is not. And college is most certainly not a publishing house, at least not in the way a young author would like it to be. But Vince, you may be asking, what about all the university presses? Couldn't we publish through those? The answer to that is most likely not. And I say most likely only because I don't know every university's programs. But every single university press I've been exposed to does not function to publish an undergraduate student's book. Instead, the publishing systems colleges have in place service primarily academic works and textbooks from professors and the occasional graduate student. And if you think back to last week's episode on inexperienced author stigma, a university won't accept these same types of works from less qualified undergraduate students. All this makes sense to a certain extent, but when publishing options are already difficult to maneuver for college-aged or younger authors, the lack of university support truly is a major closed door. So just to reiterate, acceptance to college does not in any way guarantee the publishing of your book. But instead of letting this fact stop you, it's important to know your alternative options, as well as the things colleges might actually be able to provide for you as an author. Now I don't pretend to know all the opportunities you might have in front of you, but I do know the basic routes that you can take with publishing. Here's a short breakdown. First and foremost, there's traditional publishing. This includes the big five of publishing like Penguin and Simon & Schuster. Most books that are heavily promoted are published traditionally, but the process is extremely competitive, It requires not only a successfully queried agent, but also a pre-existing audience in most cases. Large traditional publishers, and even agents themselves, are less often taking chances on authors who aren't guaranteed to sell well. Though I won't tell you not to try or that it's impossible by any means, you will have to be quite honest with yourself if you're considering traditional publishing. Do you have a massive social media presence, YouTube channel, or podcast? If not, don't despair, but you'll probably have to draft many unanswered emails and attempt to meet agents in person. Develop a thick skin and don't discourage yourself if this process doesn't work out for you. The other famous alternative is self-publishing. Now, this is a considerably more attainable route for most, but it's certainly not an easy thing to do if you're taking pride in your work. I recommend doing extensive research on the best methods for self-publishing. One important takeaway, however, is that respectable self-publishing will likely cost you thousand dollars to several thousand dollars. If you take cheap shortcuts or refuse to hire editors, then your book will feel cheap. If you respect the self-publishing process, then it can be a wildly rewarding journey that allows you to retain control and ownership. A third option is small or independent publishers. These businesses usually operate on a similar model to traditional publishing in that they typically take ownership of your book and give you small royalties on its sales. But if you find a small publisher that offers the right amount of support, this trade off can be quite worth it. A newer, lesser known option is hybrid publishing, which combines the ease and relative credibility of a publisher with the ownership publishing techniques of self publishing. This is the model my book was published with, and it can work out quite well for authors, providing a mix of benefits from other publishing options. However, since this option is so new, it is quite unpredictable and even unreliable. What might work for authors one year may look a little different the next. Also, since many hybrid publishers are relatively unestablished, it's hard to determine if they're overselling themselves or what level of support they'll be able to provide. Ultimately, take this path with some caution and do lots of research beforehand. If you do choose a hybrid publishing situation that works well for college-age or younger authors, it can provide the best of various worlds. Another option that I don't foresee many of you pursuing is vanity publishing. This is usually the model for local authors who aren't seeking wide reach or stereotypical author success. A vanity publisher might get your book into museums, local shops, or industry-specific gatherings, but usually little else. I don't recommend this option for younger writers who are seriously pursuing an author career. The last route I want to share with you is online publishing through various sites. This includes websites like Wattpad or Substack that allow you to easily post chapters of your larger project and engage with readers that may come your way directly. If you're able to build an audience here, you could potentially monetize your serialized writing or utilize a different publishing method to collect your chapters into a physical book. So with all those actual publishing options laid out, the question comes back around to universities and what they functionally are able to provide for younger authors. Aside from what you may learn in the classroom, colleges have a few perks that authors can lean into. Most of these opportunities come in the marketing phase after you've published your book. For instance, there are usually bookstores that service the university, and your attendance is a natural lead-in for getting your book stocked on these shelves. Though one encounter didn't work out for me, there was a different campus bookstore that did stock my book and help promote it as an alumnus author. You can also potentially organize speaking events at these bookstores, or more likely with campus clubs and organizations. Aside from the general networking these college organizations provide, they might also be quite topical to your book and support your outreach. There may be a writing club you join, or an innovation club that wants to support your nonfiction book on innovation. The ultimate point is that these opportunities are usually inherent in college life, but, like everything else in publishing, they do not provide guarantees of success or acceptance. Learn to accept yourself and your story apart from external reception, and then you will hopefully be in a healthy place to pursue the opportunities and publishing paths that best suit you. Life as an author does not stop once your book gets published. For those in love with their book, their story, and the writing process, this can actually be a very tough reality to reckon with. Your book is done, and so you want to be done as well. There are other stories to tell, and the prospect of forcing your first book to have a life of its own does not sound appealing. So for all the college-age or younger authors out there, now is the time to realize the difficult truth about being an author. Not only are you a writer, researcher, and editor, but you are a salesperson, personal brand, and overall human punching bag. The post-publishing period is where marketing and interpersonal relations leap to the forefront in a way not felt before, except for the authors who might have implemented crowdfunding or pre-order campaigns earlier on. Even for authors attached to traditional publishing, no one is ever going to take this legwork away from you. A publicist may help launch your book into the stratosphere, but your story will reach no one if you don't first embrace the fact that writing a book involves far more discomfort than just writing. Now couple this treacherous truth with the changes involved in reaching adulthood, and being an author sounds like an even more impossible hill to climb. College-age authors must deal with the rigor of growing pains, job searching, relationship building, competing priorities, financial insecurity, and general life-related uncertainty. And all this in addition to the challenge of trying to foster your book's success. For those of us who want to be career authors and storytellers, this balance affects your literal livelihood in the entire course of your future. For younger authors with different goals, the professional and personal benefits of your published book are always at risk. Yes, a finished book is a crowning achievement and something to be proud of, but it is also a constant stressor and a potential distraction from things as important as your own well-being. Hopefully it's now clearer why at the beginning of this series I stressed having the right priorities in becoming an author. Because if you don't, you will likely drown in the difficulty of the post-publishing process. Dark but true. But there is hope for all us well-intentioned authors out there. Publishing a book still comes with all its benefits. For one, the joy of having completed something you put your effort toward is honestly overwhelming. You might also get tons of love from the people who support you and your book. They are, in fact, very pleased with you for accomplishing this major feat. Being able to discuss your book with readers is exciting. The feeling of holding a book that you yourself authored is strange and wonderful. At least for me, that odd pride never wears off. Beyond all this, there are professional benefits to publishing a book, and there are opportunities to be had in marketing it. While you're never guaranteed to make good money, your book is a source of income. How much authors make from their books varies wildly but even the smallest amount is still something, especially considering it can be a semi-passive income stream. Now, I can't speak to how earnings have affected my life because let's be real, mine are so minimal that they haven't, but I can say the book sits proudly featured on my resume whenever I apply to jobs. When so much of a job application is bragging about your skills and experience, what greater brag is there than I published a book? For many younger authors, this resume building does translate to career building. Heck, I even got a job with my publisher after publishing. I can't imagine what writing an industry-specific book could do for a recent graduate about to enter their chosen field. So while book publishing's career and financial incentives once again should not be the primary motivation, because they don't happen for everyone, they are a very real possibility tied to being an author. Even the marketing and outreach side of post-publishing holds some amazing possibilities. For instance, I got to pursue podcasting for the first time. Using matchmaker.fm, which is not a sponsor, I was able to be a guest on great podcasts where I had the lovely experiences of chatting about storytelling and history. I enjoyed it so much now that I've started my own podcast with my cousin. If I wasn't actively marketing my novel, I never would have discovered this cool hobby that I now love. Others still have been able to team up with amazing nonprofits. This partnership helps grow a book's reach, but also raises money for a hopefully good cause. For many, this sort of fulfillment more than makes up for the awkwardness and difficulty of outreach. So instead of being deterred by the trappings of the post-publishing life, I urge us as college-aged and younger authors to focus on the great things our books bring, both to ourselves and others. Remember why you wanted to write your particular story. There is so much to be proud of, as you are one of a few young people who took the leap and put in the work to create something you believe in. Best to all of you and your awesome books.